Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Be bold. That is the series of lessons from the book of Joshua that we are talking about right now. And being bold is a challenging thing. Being bold is one of those things that uh, if, if we are in our boldness and we push through and have some success, what does it lead to? It leads to more boldness. It leads to ability to stand up and, and, and do bigger things and do greater things. But one of the things we see over, over, over and over in Scripture is that there are times that people step away from God and try to be bold on their own. And when we try boldness without God and we don't succeed, we tend to retreat from our boldness. I think about Moses and how he wanted to make a difference for the people of Israel, how he wanted to be a guy that led his people in some way. And so he goes out and in his boldness, he, he, he kills an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. And I'm sure he felt good about that. He was making a difference. And then when he goes up to two Hebrew slaves and tries to stop them from arguing and fighting, they call him out. Hey, you're, are you just going to kill one of us too? And that boldness just shrinks out of him. And as we open up our Bibles into Joshua chapter 8 today, uh, we, we find a time in, in the nation of Israel where I believe their boldness had disappeared a little bit. Because you see, last week, and, and, and we're skipping a few chapters here for, for time purposes, for, for the main reason, but last week, we see them preparing to go into Jericho for battle and doing what they needed to do to prepare for that. And then, you all know the story of Jericho. They march around that city for several days, finally to the climactic point that the city falls in on itself. All they had to do is march around it in circles. And then in their celebration and, and, and excitement, their boldness is just built up to a new high. They've, had, they've come across the Jordan River. They have beat the, the mighty city of Jericho, and now they're going to get ready in chapter 7 to go to the small little town compared to Jericho of Ai, and they just know that there's no way that, that they're not going to win this battle. And they go into Ai, and they get thumped. They get just manhandled by this small town. They don't know why. And the story goes on that there's this man named Achan who had done something that God had told him not to do and told the entire nation not to do. He had taken some plunder. He had taken some trophies from the city of Jericho. And that man's sin caused God to turn his back, if you will, on the people of Israel as they went into the next battle. And they finally deal with that. Achan and his entire family, you know, they lose their lives over this. Achan is stoned. And chapter 8 picks up right at that point to where now they're getting ready to go back into battle with the people of Ai. I would imagine, I would imagine that the boldness that had once been there after the Jordan River and after Jericho was not near as powerful the second time they're getting ready to go in and face the people of Ai. But there's some things here within this story that remind us of how we can reclaim our boldness. Maybe you were once bold and on fire for God, living in a way that just set the world on fire. Maybe something happened in a way that you didn't expect it and you fell flat on your face 
and you lost that fire. You lost the spirit, and you haven't yet found it yet. This particular chapter helps us understand maybe how we reclaim our boldness in Christ. Let's start in chapter 8 and verse 1. Read the first nine verses with me. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. Basically saying, hey, don't lose your boldness, okay? For I had delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with the orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you... Be on alert, and I, I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give into your, will give into your hands. When you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. So that's the plans. And this, this particular chapter opens up with some very extraordinary words. Those words of, don't be afraid, do not be discouraged because, you see, that's what sin does. Sin discourages us. And that's exactly what the people of Israel had dealt with in Achan in, in the previous story, that his sin had drugged down the entire, the entire nation, had, had stopped them from being prosperous, had caused God to not bless them in the way that they had been used to being blessed. And so I'm sure it went through their mind, what's God going to do now? Is he going to punish us some more? Uh, is he going to take us back into the desert again? Is God going to just leave us to fend for ourselves in this hostile country? You know, they had offended God that they felt his wrath. So they're wondering, is, is, is this just going to keep on? Is God going to pout for a little while? But notice how immediate God's turnaround is. The people repent, they obey, God forgives, and boom, everything's back on track. He said, I, I've already given them into your hands. Now it's just time to move on. It's time to move on past this moment of, of challenge. And this reminds me, this makes me think, and I think it's an important thing for us to understand. God doesn't stay distant from us during our sins or specifically after our sins. It's us who distance ourselves. God is there. God is waiting to forgive. He's waiting to restore, waiting to bless. He, he, he's not one to pout. We're, we're the pouters. We're the ones that many times refuse God's gracious forgiveness. We're the ones that feel that we have to kind of beat ourselves up over the things that we've done. We'd like to punish ourselves for a while and kind of wallow in uh, in the bad, bad feelings that we've created. We like to tuck our tail between our legs and hide in the corner. 
But that's never the picture of the God that we find in the Bible. The picture that we see over and over is a God who forgives and he's ready to move on. His entire mission, the whole purpose of the cross, is to set up a situation that we can completely restore our relationship with God. You see, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid. And what did God do? God went looking for them. As we talked about this morning, the prodigal son, he rounded the corner at the end of the street, and his dad ran to meet him and threw a party and celebrated for him. That's how God responds to us when we forgive. His job, his, his personality is forgive, restore, and celebrate. Forgive, restore, and celebrate. So the question is, do you struggle with that? Have, have you sinned and repented and then not really accepted what God has to offer? And that is forgiveness. Not just in part, but, but that complete forgiveness, that restoration of the relationship. Understand that God always wants us back. He doesn't want to forgive us and then us stay distant because we feel like we have to punish ourselves. When God forgives, forgiveness is complete. And so God forgives the people of Israel. He restores them. The covenant and the relationship is restored. And, and they begin to move forward. That was the plan. See, this section is not just about the physical plan of, of attacking Ai. It's the plan of moving on from sin. And I really think it's a beautiful thing to think about. Now, the next 10 to 20 verses or so here are about God's plan being put into action. And we're going to kind of tell the story as we move on and not read this entire section. But it shows a complete victory at the hands of God and not anybody else. And the reason for the victory is fascinating. Obviously, it was God's plan, and the Israelites obeyed it and so succeeded, and that was to be expected. But notice what precisely it was that caused the plan to work. It was the previous defeat. That's what Joshua says. He says, we're going to retreat like we did last time, and they're going to think back to the last battle. They were, they were Joshua and, and God both were thinking from the perspective of the people of Ai. Here come the Israelites down. We're just going to run them off again, just like we did last time. Now, I want you to add a religious dimension to this. In this day and time, wars were not just between two groups of people. In many ways, they were viewed as wars against one God against the other. And the people of Ai, I'm sure, had heard about this mighty God that was with the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan River. They defeated Jericho. I mean, yeah, look, we're, and then Ai just defeats them to begin with. Their first run at them. They just run them out of town. And so they had likely concluded that as great as their God might be, their God, the AI God, was stronger. And so they would see these people coming, and they're just going to run them off like they did last time, just like last time. And so the Israelites run down. They flee. They turn and run. So the king summons all of his men out of the city, and they pursue the Israelites, thinking that they're going to destroy them completely. But what do they do? They leave their city completely undefeated. And, of course, that's when the Israelites in ambush wait. And they jump out and they burn the city to the ground. So the reason they won the second time was because of the loss from the first time. You see, God has a tendency of turning our defeats into his victory. 
Think about that. God has a tendency of turning our defeats into his victory. God is still doing that today. He's still turning defeats into victory. He, he did it at AI. He did it at Calvary. And he does it in our lives every day. He takes our weaknesses, our defeats, our moments of disappointment, and when we give those to him, he does something amazing with them. He turns them into advances in his kingdom. And we need to remember, it's not by our own strength that we honor God. It's by our weakness. That's what Paul realized. Paul realized that the only thing that he could boast in, the only thing he could boast in was his weakness because it was in his weakness that he fully could give God the glory. That is where he was the strongest. What a great story and what a great idea. Well, let's shift to the end of the chapter. Chapter 8 ends with a shift of location and activity. And I want us to read this part of the story together. Starting in verse 30, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it in according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-borns were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount uh, Grisham, the other half in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and foreigners who lived among them. Now, this may seem like an odd place to, to go in our sermon tonight. I mean, the first part of this chapter is all about war and victory. War and victory, right? But the, the entire story, the entire story starts with their loss at Ai. And then how they had to overcome the challenge of sin in the nation. And then how they had accepted forgiveness. And then the story ends here in chapter, chapter 8, 30. Through 35, we see the entire circle of the relationship coming back into focus. They actually they didn't just they didn't just take the forgiveness of God for granted and move on. They didn't just repent and go back to their old ways. No, they made it a point as a nation to completely, completely recommit themselves to the covenant with God. And so basically what they do in this part of the story, and I love it, I love the imagery of it, is they recreate, they recreate that image at Mount Sinai where the nation is surrounded a mountain and Moses comes down with the law written in stone. They, they recreate that moment. They have their own covenant renewal. They have their own moment with God to say, look, this is what we're about. This is who we serve. You have forgiven us. You have protected us. You've held up your in the bargain. Now we're here to recommit our life to you in this recommitment ceremony, if you will. 
and they replicated that time. And they said, God, we appreciate you for your forgiveness. We appreciate your grace, and we're recommitting ourselves to you. You know, we have an act of recreation ourselves. The act of baptism is just that. Paul says in the book of Romans that it recreates the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is that moment for us that we get to participate and recreate that moment in Jesus' life and say, I am dying to myself and I'm being reborn. I'm committing myself to you, God, in a new way, in a way that I never had before to where you are my focus. You are what is most important. Regardless of the sin that I've had, I appreciate the forgiveness and the grace that you've given me. And this is my act of showing you how serious I really am in this. I'm recreating the death, burial, and resurrection of your son so that I can receive not just forgiveness, but so I can receive true salvation. Have you recreated that moment? I know that it's, I know that it's something that maybe we talk about so much that the importance of it sometimes get lost in the amount of time we spend on the subject of baptism, but I want you to know tonight that there's no greater decision that you'll ever make than that of committing your life to Jesus as your Savior and recreating that death, burial, and resurrection so that you can receive salvation and the Holy Spirit. If that's a decision you need to make, listen, don't let another day go by. Pick up your phone, call me, call the office, call one of our elders, call somebody, and let us... Let us have that moment of salvation with you. Let us help you in that. What a great, powerful passage. A passage tonight that talks to us and encourages us that just because sin may have at one point controlled our life and controlled the things that happened to us, it doesn't have to always be that way. We can regain our boldness that sin takes away and we can serve God and be victorious again and again. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for the opportunity for me to come into your homes and share this message with you. I hope you have a great week. I hope that it is a week full of blessings, but also find the opportunity to bless someone else. As David Albright always says, do something good for someone this week. Thank you for your time. I thank you for this opportunity. May God bless you and have a great, great rest of the week. Good night. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring 